This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coaching Questions. My name is Scott Pinyard. I am the head coach of This Naked Mind. And again, I have another amazing guest with me today. She's one of our fantastic coaches. It's Rebecca Snyder. How's it going, Rebecca? I am great. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. So, um, you know, we ask we ask our coaches to to kind of tell us what they're interested in, what they focus on when they get on here. And you wrote in uh, that you work with people who are focused on wellness but feeling stuck, as well as mothers of uh, in the midst of raising families. I want to ask you about this idea of being stuck. Um, I hear that so often. Tell me what is that exactly like, and where do you see that show up in your in your practice? Well, for me, I just got to where um, I, I knew that I needed to make some changes in my life. And I was approaching my mid 40s, maybe a little bit closer to my 50s. And I was feeling the, the pressure just internally to make some shifts in my, my health. And especially um, as a career person in wellness, I just felt like a fraud. And as I kept trying to make these shifts and these mindset changes and these, these lifestyle changes, I felt so stuck. I felt this sense of not being able to move forward, Mm. not necessarily moving backwards, but just not knowing what the big thing I needed to change was. And I would just try all these different things without really looking at the one thing that was the biggest thing that helped me make all the changes that I needed to make in my life. So that's kind of what I mean by stuck um, with, especially we see this in women so much with the pressures of being a mom and of being a career person and being a friend and being a, a wife and, and a church member and a whatever member, you know? So, yeah. There's so much that goes into that. And it's interesting too, because I hear people bring up the word stuck almost like there's some key they're missing. Like if I just did this one thing, like things would be easier, but that's not often what it is, right? It's normally, I mean, yes, you could say like alcohol in your case was the thing where it's like, all right, I needed to move beyond alcohol. But even people who are working through the process of trying to quit drinking, you know, they feel stuck and I find very often when I talk to people in our programs that, you know, yes, there are definitely some foundational beliefs, you know, that people shift as as they go through this. But I often try to explain to people that being stuck is start of the 
process, right? It's it's kind of in that time when you're stuck that you're learning more and you're kind of getting more data on how to move forward. 100%, because if I just made the change, then I wouldn't be stuck. So it's most definitely a part of the process. And, you know, it very much each time I tried to pick my foot out of the I like to call it marshmallow cream instead of cement because we can move through marshmallow cream, right? Um, or peanut butter. But every time I tried to pick my foot up, I would learn something from it, you yes. know, but, but uh, so yeah, that is part of the process of feeling that stuck feeling. So you also mentioned moms in the middle of raising families. Um, you would be surprised to know that I have zero experience as a mom. <laughs> Um, so I want to hear from you a little bit, like what, what were those things that you dealt with and what are some of the things that you work specifically with your, with your clients on when it comes to this? Cause I know that, you know, I talk to a lot of moms and, and they kind of, they lay it out there, but what, what does that look like from your end of things? So as a mom, especially not even just like a stay at home mom, or I used to call myself a domestic engineer because I put so much into yeah. my home and into making, you know, what I thought this perfect uh, being a mom was supposed to look like. And then these little rascals grow up on you and they get this, um, their own opinions yeah. and they get their own way of doing things that have nothing to do with the way I thought it should be. <laughs> and then, you know, the family picture looks different than what you necessarily thought it was going to be. And so it just becomes this whole taking on a new identity, almost like, okay, wait, then who am I? And I just personally really struggled with that. And I just mm. had a hard time allowing this natural process of what I raised my children to do to go out and be good humans yeah. <laughs> and it was really hard for about a four-year period where they didn't need me as much yeah. and so I had to regroup a little bit on okay so where does that leave me mm. and so for me personally it was finding that balance once they started to leave home um, yeah. and become teenagers and high schoolers and leave and go away. I remember a conversation with my mom. Hi, mom, if you're listening. Sometimes she listens. Um, but I remember a conversation with her. I was probably, I think it was right around the time that I graduated college. Um, and she told me, she's like, you know, people ask me how I'm doing. And for the longest time, my answer was, well, Scott's doing this and Kate's doing, Kate's my sister, Kate's doing that. And she goes, you know, I'm just going to start answering that question on how I'm doing. And that, that has stuck with me. Um, but I feel like that encapsulates so much of what I hear. And like, I'm curious, not that I'm not going to interrogate you about being a mom, but I'm curious, like, was the idea of taking that time out for yourself to work on yourself kind of disorienting as you were or like kind of like a tough thing to do when you were you know working with kids at home like is that is that part of where people get tripped up maybe a little bit maybe it was um definitely there's a schedule there's things to be done there's you know places to have the kids there's 
um, events to be at to attend and papers to sign and homework to do and all the things. And then slowly that goes away and it leaves this open space of, for me, discomfort <laughs> because yeah. then all the scary stuff of like, okay, well now I don't have any of the busy work yeah, that, to distract you almost, that yeah. I get to distract myself with. And so in a sense, yes, opening up that space um, came naturally, but yet at the same time, it was very scary for me personally. Yeah, no, I totally, I get where you're coming from on that. That makes a lot of sense. And I love what your mom said. That's so true because so many times people say, how's your family? Um, but, and so we just automatically, but how are you? And that she would answer it that way. is So it's very neat. I love that that stuck with you. That's very cool. Yeah, it's weird. That was like 20 something years ago. And I still remember it. Who knows? Maybe I made it up. I did. I don't think I did. I have a very clear memory of that conversation, but um, awesome. All right, let's dive into some questions together. What do you say? Sure, let's do it. All right, here is question number one. Uh, it goes like this. There are four people at my work who went alcohol-free for 30 days last month, and they all seem to have an easy time. I tried it this month, and I only made it a few days. I'm concerned about this, particularly because I feel like I've, going, I've gone back to drinking more than I was before. What is a good next step for me? You want me to go first? I do. That's why I looked at you uh, and smiled. <laughs> it's <yeah>. your turn. <laughs> um, so this is interesting because I, I think it's so crazy. We don't really know what people have done before this time. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times it's really easy to compare our experience to someone else's experience. And we don't know that they haven't tried 10 other times to, yeah. to do a 30 day break and that just this time happened to be their time to actually make it. Maybe they have tried before and they only made it three days the first time and then they made it 10 days and then they made it three days. That was certainly the experience that I had where I would, you know, felt fine going two weeks and then I'd be, ah, I got this. And, but, and I found myself drinking more after that. Yeah. Um, so my, the next step would be to do it again right? To keep, yes. to never stop, like to keep doing it, to do it again. I love that. And I always point this out. So we do a 30 day program. Well, you know, this Becca, mm -hmm. uh, we do a 30 day program called the alcohol experiment. And every time at the end of the alcohol experiment, I kind of, I do a live video and I talk through like, what are the takeaways from the month? And like, what are some next steps you can take? And inevitably I see it all throughout the month. And I also see it when I do this live video of people saying, I totally failed. I completely messed this up, right? This has been a complete bust for me, you know, or some version of that. Um, and the thing that makes me laugh about that, you know, is I'll talk to people about like, well, what did you think was going to happen when you came into this? Right. And they'll say, well, I thought I was going to breeze through this. And then I didn't. And I'm like, that is a really valuable piece of information, right? Like after those 30 days, if you have been saying to yourself over and over, wait a minute, I can do 30 days. And then you can't do 30 days. That is not something to feel bad about. I know like our tendency is to feel bad about it, but the reality is that's data. 
right? That means that maybe you need to go on to whatever the next, you know, level of commitment is for you. You know, whether it's a program like the path, like we have, or even if it's, you know, I'm going to go to some AA meetings, like I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to talk about this. That is, it's always a success. Like that's, I guess where I'm trying to get to, like, there's no such thing as failure. Um, and next steps is exactly, I totally agree with you. Like try it again you know, do it again, tell people, right? If you do the 30 day experiment, tell people on the way in, hey, I tried this a couple of months ago and I only made it a few steps or a few days. Why am I recommending that? Because sharing and being part of a community is a really big part of this. And so one thing that you will find if you go into the alcohol experiment and you say, hey, I only made it four days last time, you're gonna see a bunch of people say me too, right? And that is so empowering right it makes you feel like you're not alone um yeah go ahead yeah and back to uh the beginning of our conversation about being stuck remembering that we are not in we're not in concrete we're not in cement we are in marshmallow crane and even though we're still in the marshmallow crane at some point you get out of it if you keep taking a step and keep moving like continue to to try and that's take that take note of like what worked what didn't it's still, it's all a learning process. It goes right back to that feeling stuck, but yet we aren't always stuck. There is still movement, even if it's tough. Yes. And, you know, when, especially when you find yourself drinking more than you did before, right? That's a really, that's a really interesting indication that there's some, you ran into something, there's some thoughts or some beliefs that are causing you pain there. And, you luckily have a front row seat to your brain, right? So you can dig into those and you can actually ask yourself these questions. You know, one of the, one of the tactics I love to give people, um, we talk about this actually in the alcohol experiment, but you can do it outside of the experiment too. When you, when you find like your drinking has kind of increased a little bit. So when you get to the point in your day that you're thinking, all right, I'm going to have a drink, right? I'm going to, I'm going to have a glass of wine when I get home, get a pen and paper and write down very clearly what you are expecting to get out of this drink, right? So whatever that might be, you know, for me personally, it was relaxation, it was stress relief. It was, I would use things like loosening up, Um, just be clear, whatever that is. Um, And then when you have that drink, write down, if you're experiencing those things, right? Wait about half an hour and then write down, am I loosened up? Am I feeling better? Wait another half an hour and do it again. The reason I'm recommending this is that all of these, there is a constant sort of dialogue going on in your mind. And if you can become more aware of it, um, you're going to, you know, you're going to be more successful when you go to take another 30 days off because you'll say, wait a minute, Um, I know that like a really stressful day for me is something that I have a hard time getting through without a drink. What else can I do? Right. And then you start building these, these strategies. I love that. Awesome. Let's go on to question number two. Um, I picked this one out just for you. Uh, It says, it feels like every time I set a goal and I'm talking specifically about weight loss and drinking here, I do well. And then I lose momentum. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I get motivated. I think this is the time and then belly flop a few days or weeks down the road. Any tips? Ah, I love this. So one of the things that I like to tell coaching clients and wellness clients is that it's real easy to make a commitment to start tomorrow after I've eaten a large pizza 
or a tub of ice cream. So I recommend like make the commitment or the, the um, conscious decision when you're in a clear headspace. I find that that is, um, instead of making it out of desperation, make it out of like love for yourself and self-compassion and that you want to do that for yourself. And then the second thing is when a lot of times, like we forget five days in, like how much we hated the way we felt after a bottle of wine or a bag of Oreos or whatever it is that is your hang up. And like we forget. So again, making notes like you talked about and being able to go back and reflect on that. I find that so important because it really does. It's so telling. It gives us data and it gives us uh, insight to, to our past self and our future self and asking ourselves like, will my, will I appreciate this tomorrow if I eat this pizza now, knowing that I'm trying to put whole foods in my body. And I'm not saying pizza's bad, I mean, at all, but, or whatever, but, and also micro commitments, like what can you commit to? Is it that I will not eat after five o'clock or seven o'clock, whatever your, whatever your schedule allows for, like micro commitments. Like we talked about finding new lengthening tools of I'll go five days without drinking. Oh, I did five days. Good. I'm going to make some notes on how I felt. I'm going to go ahead and go seven days. I mean, that's how I haven't had a drink in over two and a half years. No, not two and a half, almost. And being able to, to just, I went 30 days and I was like, I did 30 days. Then I went 60, but that doesn't count all the five days I failed at eating healthy and taking care of myself and, you know, all the, the things that I've done. We didn't see that. We just see the 30 days that I actually finally did it. And I was like, yeah. got some, but that started with five days, right? Yeah. I love so. that idea. I love the idea of micro commitments. And I think it's so true. Like I've experienced this myself on a lot of different things. Working out is definitely one of them that where I see it a lot where we get really motivated and maybe we go buy some new sneakers um, and some new t-shirts and sweatbands. And I don't know if anyone actually wears sweatbands, but you know what I mean? Like we go and we do these things and it feels really, really good, right? It feels really good to say, oh man, I am going to be a triathlete. Um, And I've seen research before that indicates that if you go around and start telling people you're going to run a marathon, you actually get a huge, uh, a huge dopamine hit from that. And um, you haven't really started even training yet. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Because people will react to you. They're like, good for you, right? It just feels really good to have this conversation and people around you are cheering you on. Um, I say all this to say that like, you know, you can get a lot of that good feeling before you actually start putting in the work. And for me, the thing that changed that was, well, a few things. First, and Annie talks about this a lot with her doing Taekwondo, find something you like, right? Like there are so many people who are like, I just hate going to the gym. And it's like, then don't (laughs) like, there's so many other things to do, right? Like there isn't just one way to do it. So, and this is true about going alcohol free, just like it is with weight loss, right? There's a lot of different ways to do it. So if you find yourself like not enjoying a particular method, uh, find another one. There's a bunch of them out there. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of number one. Number two, it's working on your thinking about it. 
right? So I, um, I got in, when I quit drinking, I got into um, a sport. It's not, is it a sport? I don't know. An event related thing called rucking where I basically put weight on my back and walk for like 20 miles at a time. And there's, you know, there's like, um, physical, uh, physical fitness tests that happen along the way. You're doing push-ups and sit-ups and all this stuff. Um, I stumbled into that because I hated the gym. Right. And I knew like, all right, I don't want to be in the gym all the time. I live in Maine. It's gorgeous here for part of the year, at least. And like, I want to be outside. We've got trails, we've got mountains, but I also like, to me, hiking was kind of, don't tell anyone, Becca, but hiking was kind of boring. Like I wanted, like I want, I know I wanted to like figure out something else. So I was searching and I found this and I absolutely fell in love with it. Right. And so understanding that the thoughts that you're having there, that resistance you might be feeling to um, going to the gym every day. Yes, there could be some beliefs there and we can work on that, but it's also entirely possible that you just don't like going to the gym. You know, and I'm focusing on, I like to focus on the benefits. Like when I get up for an early ruck, um, I really focus on how great I'm going to feel when I come back, right? Or how tired I'm going to be that night. There's nothing better for me. Or doing a night ruck and like coming home and taking a shower and going into bed is like the best feeling in the world. So anyway, just some of my thoughts on that. I love that. You know, uh, that sounds about like what my husband did in the military. <laughs> it's a military-based thing. Rocking, yeah. I was never in the military, but yeah. there, it's people from the military who invented it. That's amazing. I don't know that he's heard of that. And the other thing too, Scott, that you said that really struck me is that things change. Like what we enjoy doing may change. Like there are times when I know I just need to do gentle yoga stretching. It's called yin, but it's not very gentle or restorative. And then sometimes I need to go and pump some iron and go to the gym and like really like, and I think one of the biggest things that if people can just know that wellness is about entering into a relationship with yourself. And it's the same with, um, losing alcohol from your life and not giving it so much power, but yet giving yourself that power and understanding the things that we've been using alcohol for to take the place of, and then just getting and the same with fitness and eating and whatever it is that you're trying to change, knowing that entering into that relationship with ourselves first and foremost, and being able to hear that and know like you like to go rucking and put that weight on your back and it cannot be easy. I love to hike sometimes and I take my journal up into the woods and I just sit and I write. And then sometimes I like to go get on the treadmill and run really hard. So I just think that knowing and giving yourself that, knowing that what feeling am I trying to create? Like you were talking about the thoughts and I know you and Annie talk about this so much about the emotion behind the action is so important. You just said something that got my wheels really turning, but that idea of getting into a relationship with yourself, because um, I was comparing that to any other relationship I have, you know, like my wife and I, we don't always do the same things, right? Some nights we might watch Netflix, some nights we might sit around and talk about politics, other nights we might sit on the couch and both read and not talk to each other at all and be very happy. Right. Like, and it's funny to me because I see people really like throwing themselves in or dedicating themselves to one thing. Um, but the idea, like, just like any relationship, there's 
phases, right? There are going to be times when you want to, like you said, like go to the gym and I don't know if you listen to metal, but listen to metal and lift heavy weights, right? And then there's other times that you just want to stretch a little bit and it's all okay. Um, I love that. I love that a lot. That's very cool. Cool. Um, all right, last question, then we'll get to our curveball question. So uh, here it is. What do I do when I get seriously triggered to drink? Some triggers are stronger than others. Why is that? I recognize a trigger when it is happening, but I'm having a hard time getting past it. So for this, I mean, listen, we all have triggers. Like we all have things that tend to send us over that, so to speak, edge. But I also feel like we all have personal power. And I do know early in this journey, if you're just starting out, you're learning what those triggers are. And you're also learning where your personal power comes into play. And I think it's important to recognize that for yourself and give yourself some credit and, and celebrate when you do go, oh, wait, that was a trigger yeah. and I didn't respond. But there's also times when we don't use our personal power and it's a matter of just learning like when, when can I, what are those triggers? Like what specifically is it about this particular thing? And get super curious. And I love one of the tactics that we use in the Snaked Mind is called who says? Mm -hmm. Like who says that that trigger has to be a trigger? Like who says that that is what, and listen, I'm not talking about things that of trauma of nature. I mean, there are much, but I'm talking about little things such as my husband did not take the trash out and it, or I came home from work to a dirty house. That was a big one for me. I know you're, everybody's probably laughing right now, but it was huge for me. And it was something that I had to change. I got to say, who says that has to end the way I've always said it had to end. Yeah. And so, um, so that would be gaining your personal power back and go, wait a minute, I can control the way I respond to this minor trigger. Again, not talking about big T trauma. I'm talking about mm -hmm. small little traumas that tend to be, if you are here, I possibly, it could be that you are in the beginning phases of like, okay, learning what is this trigger that keeps catching me and I keep tripping on. I love triggers as a coach because it gives us something to dig into. You know, part of that whole like who says thing, like why does that bother you so much, right? So Becca, you come home from work and the house is like, why does that bother you so much? And sometimes that just getting asked that question is annoying as hell. And I understand that, right? But we try to do it gently. But the idea of like, huh, what is actually going on here? Because I think one thing that we become accustomed to as drinkers is like the stimulus response, stimulus response, right? There's a trigger, so I drink. There's a trigger, so I drink. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, right? And the same thing is true with our thoughts and emotions, right? Like one of the things we teach in some of our programs is how to become aware of your thoughts and actually work on your thoughts before they make you get angry and go down the rabbit hole of being mad, right? The same thing is true with triggers. These have just been automatic patterns of behavior for a while. 
So from a coaching standpoint, not that I like seeing someone suffering from this, but from a coaching standpoint, I love it when people bring up triggers because it allows me to dig in a little bit, you know, and some of the questions and some of the questions that this person could ask themselves, right? Um, why? Why is this such a trigger, right? And maybe it's, maybe it's really simple. Maybe it's like, look, it just really makes me mad. Okay. Why? <laughs> Right. But like doing that in, uh, I think you use the word curiosity, which is really key here, not in a judgmental way, but almost in a playful way. You know, think of like a five-year-old or I guess five is kind of old, like a three-year-old asking you why over and over and over, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's really curious. And if we can, if we can approach this from a place of being of curiosity and of saying, I wonder what's underneath this, right. We can get to some beliefs and some ideas that 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 we could stand to change like i know for me um stress was a really big trigger and there was a particular and i won't go into details but at work at the time there was a particular instance or thing that would happen on a regular basis that would stress me out and then i would find myself drinking and i remember asking myself these questions uh you know asking why 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 is this a trigger, right? Well, because I'm stressed. Well, why am I stressed about that? Well, because this thing happens and it happens all the time. I'm like, okay, but why are you stressed when this thing happened? And I like kept asking myself the questions and I eventually got to this place where I realized, wait a minute, like this thing happens on a regular interval. It hasn't like hurt me yet. It hasn't really caused any problems yet. I'm just stressed out because I don't like, I'm worried about it. I don't want it to go a certain way, but like my worry and my energy was not changing the outcome. Why does this need to be a trigger, right? And just going through that process, allow this, those triggers to kind of almost evaporate, if that makes sense. Yeah, and also knowing when we know it's a trigger, just stepping back going, what would happen if I responded differently this time? Mm. And where, where, how can I make this a learning opportunity as opposed to a trigger? Like, what yes. if we even just renamed it from trigger to a learning experience? That, yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit more. Wait, I'm not letting you off the hook on that one. Tell me, well, I, just, I love where you're going. I think it's so important sometimes that we just pass credit to the things that have always been instead of just asking ourselves like is this trigger is it possible that it could be something more for me to learn it's like you said why well let's just take for example me walking in the house and it's messy well why does that bother me well because I like to come home to a clean house but why because it helps my mind stay at ease and I don't feel so cluttered but why okay dang it I feel disrespected when I've been at work all day. Yeah. And it's like getting to the bottom of why. So what if I came in and just responded differently? It really does set the mood differently for the whole house, you know, and then things actually can be done as opposed to just coming in with this passive aggressive, which I was really good at. And, um, and I still find, myself doing this I mean mm -hmm. listen just because you go alcohol free doesn't mean that there aren't still things that you want to work on and change and we're still in a constant learning mode that's just life if you 
hopefully. And I, I think it's always safe to say stepping back and taking that pause and asking yourself, what if I renamed this for myself? Like if, and what if I took a different approach altogether? Like if I know driving past this liquor store is a trigger for me, then go a different way. Like what if I went a different way? Just something as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, it's about, it's about getting your power back, right? I mean, yeah. one of the things that, and I was mentioning like the stimulus response idea, like we kind of lose our ability to understand what we actually need and therefore how to actually meet those needs, right? Because alcohol, maybe it starts as a solution to stress or sadness or loneliness. It very quickly becomes a solution to everything. Yes. And over time, what that means is we not only do we, are we not as skilled at being able to meet those needs when they come up, we actually lose the ability to discern those needs, right? To even know what's wrong in the first place. Um, I know for me, like there were, there were times when I would like say like, oh, I need a drink. And my wife would be like, oh, what happened? And I couldn't actually tell her. I didn't know, like there was like emotion, something happening here and I didn't know what it was and I was just gonna drink because of it, right? It was through unspooling all of that where you start to recognize what that is that's happening um, and then being able to address that. So I love that idea, like just taking control and moving in a different direction and see what happens. It starts to, you start to train yourself to that like, hey, I can work through this. Like I can get to the other side of this. I love that. Yeah, my coach always said that the, the word wonder and to embrace that fully and knowing that if you're trying to make a change, it's going to require a certain amount of that, of wonder and curiosity and questioning the things. And she also told me, don't believe everything you think. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so, um, anyways. Yeah. Awesome. All right. It is time for the curveball question. I have not prepared you for this. Um, okay. All right, Becca, what Disney character are you most like? Oh, my word. <laughs> Probably Buzz Lightyear. Defend yourself, please. I want to hear why. I love that. I don't know why. I, because I love Toy Story. Um, <laughs> That's good enough. I love Toy Story and um, he just believed. I was going to say that because I, I definitely see you as an optimistic person and you're someone that cheers people up for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the perfect fit. So yeah, there you to go. infinity and beyond. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Becca, for hanging out with me on this episode. It was good to get some time with you. Yes, so much fun. And if people want to find out more about you or your coaching, what is your website? I am clearmindscoaching.com. Um, I'm Beck Snyder on Instagram. You can find me there. And you can also find me on my Pilates uh, Instagram, which is Quest Pilates. Awesome. Yes. Um, this is great. And to those of you listening, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next month with another edition of Coaching Questions. Until yes. then, we'll see you later. Take care. Bye. 
Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rear view mirror for once and forever and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out NakedMindPath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.